As we pray, we're to honor God. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to add to that. Be careful how we address God. Because I hear people, and I'm sure you do too, when they're referring to God, they'll, they'll refer to him as the big guy upstairs. Big guy upstairs. Or the man upstairs. Listen, God is neither the big guy or the man upstairs. He is God, and you are not. Honor him. <laughs> Honor him. And it's funny, you know, it's always the big guy upstairs. It's not the big guy in the elevator, not the big guy in the escalator. He's always upstairs somehow. And it's a demeaning of who God really is. He's not the big guy upstairs. For believers, he's our father. And his name is to be honored. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. You know, prayer is a great privilege. Just think, we have the ability to talk to our Father in Heaven anytime we want. But too often, we go about it all wrong, using vain repetitions or praying like a hypocrite. Today on Abounding Grace, King Jesus teaches us to pray. So if you're a little fuzzy on how to go about it or just don't know what to pray, well, this is really going to be of some help to you. Pastor Ed Taylor has framed his talk around Matthew chapter 6 and John chapter 17. Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, the very beginning stages of the ministry of Jesus. This takes place in Matthew 6, a few years, really three years before what we studied in John chapter 17. Jesus is gathering a group of men alongside of him. They're known as the disciples, or we also refer to them as the apostles. And he's teaching them how to live life to please God in the world in which they live. And he takes the time here in Matthew chapter 6 to instruct them and give them brief instruction on the topic of prayer. And he picks up in chapter 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. God expects us to pray. That's a normal part of the Christian life. We find that believers throughout history have grown with four things, just four simple things. You find them in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible describes the strength of the early church and believers in these four things. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And Jesus, as he's teaching the disciples, he says, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He doesn't say if you decide one day to say a prayer or to shoot up a prayer. He says when you pray. Praying is just as important as giving. It's just as important as fasting. And he says when you pray. Now, if you're looking for a simple definition of prayer, let me give it to you. Prayer simply means to talk to God. In its simplest form, it's communication with God. 
And in its deepest form, it's the communication of a believer, a person their sins have been forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, talking to God. Or as we'll see in a moment, even a deeper relation in verse 9, children talking to their dad. Children talking to God in relationship. He says, when you're praying, and he gives a couple things. When you pray, don't be, don't do two things. Number one, don't pray like the hypocrites. The hypocrites. The word literally means here two-faced. The word hypocrite means two-faced. We often define it as saying one thing and doing another. But the word comes to us from the Greek plays, from the theater. And in the theater of the days of Greece in the early church in that first century, the Greek theater had primarily, almost exclusively, male actors. And in the male actors, in order to portray their character, they would have a mask. Even today, the common symbol for the theater are two Greek theater masks. If you, when you see that, now you know where it comes from. And in order, to put, in order to display a happy character, they put a happy mask on. Now, they could be sad and sorrowful behind the mask, but what they would see outwardly was smiles. But even more so for a male, in order to play a female character, would have the ultimate of two-faced. They would have a female mask, but behind the mask, they would be a male. Now, that carries over into the behavior of those that were religious leaders. So for the, if you were listening to Jesus right here on the, sermon, on the Mount of Olives, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, you would immediately think of the religious leaders of the day. Or in our context, you would think of the pastors and teachers of Calvary Aurora, your home church. You would think of them. You would think of the pastoral staff. Unfortunately, hopefully, we wouldn't be in this category, but that would be the group of people that you would think of. The religious leaders of the day, primarily the Pharisees, the Pharisees weren't always bad. They started out really well. Isn't that the case? You know, it's, you, start, you tend to start out well but not finish well. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. They were an ultra-conservative group really wanting to preserve the integrity of the Scriptures or of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament and then the entirety of the, of the book, the Law and the Prophets. They, they would be what we would call today men of the Word. They were taking the Word of God literally. And that's how they began. They wanted the word to be preserved, but unfortunately over time, which is possible for any one of us, the places of position of leadership got to their heads and they became hypocrites. And we find out more about their hypocrisy later on in Matthew. I think Matthew twenty two twenty three in that area where Jesus takes the time and he pronounces all of these woes upon them. Woe to you and all the things that they were doing. They were saying one thing, but doing another So much so that Jesus said to their listeners, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they're saying the right thing. They're not living the right life. And they had strayed far from relationship and instead had become religious. He says, don't pray like them. And this is what, this is what the, he said. Don't pray like them because they love to be standing up in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets. They would pray to be seen by men. 
That was their problem. They were praying to be known as people and real super spiritual people, even though their hearts were far from God. If you looked at them on the outside, you'd go, oh, what spiritual people? Oh, what special people? I want to grow up to be like them. But behind the scenes, they were carnal and cold and sinfully rebellious against God. Yes, spiritual leaders, completely against the things of God inwardly, but outwardly they wanted to have the big show. And they would do it openly. And he says, hey, in the end of verse 5, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. But you now, he says in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now this is a model of prayer. This is not... This is not specifically the only way you should ever pray the rest of your life. Jesus isn't saying, and and we would use the phrase, if you've been around the church long enough, we would use a phrase like going into your prayer closet. That's what we would say, your prayer closet. And the idea is is you could definitely use your closet as a time of prayer, especially if you have a walk-in closet, you've got a little extra space in it, or if you have one of those closets with the sliding doors, you could probably still find some space in it. But the idea isn't that the only place to pray is in a secret room or a closet. The idea is that prayer is profoundly personal, so get alone with the Lord and do business with him. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't make it a big show. Don't go out and make, pray so everybody think you can pray. Go and personally and privately, go, go seek the Lord and make it personal. Now, Jesus isn't forbidding open prayer. He's not forbidding praying out in the open. He's not forbidding praying with others. As a matter of fact, later in John 17, what is he doing? He's standing in the public, lifts his eyes up to heaven, and he's praying out loud. So what he is pointing out, like he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is the heart of the matter. It's the heart of the matter. Because it is possible to pray on a street corner and not draw attention to yourself. It is possible to pray on a street corner. It is possible to pray in a church service and not draw attention to yourself and not be a hypocrite. That's possible. But he says, don't do it that way. Instead, instead, instead of being like the hypocrites that were formalized, instead of being like the religious leaders that were stale and, and they were just stuck to the times and to the places and to the styles and to the rituals. As a matter of fact, they would pray over 18 different prayers three times every day. They would pray at 9 a.m. and at noon and at 3 p.m. and they would pray religiously. Now that's an interesting word, isn't it? We use the word religiously in many different contexts, not just spiritual. For example, you may refer to someone where you recognize they have a very uh, solid habit. They do the same thing all the time. For example, you, you might think, well, they always like to go to the market on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. They go to the market Tuesdays at 2 p.m. religiously. And what you're saying is, that's their habit. You can count on it. They do it no matter what. They do it every Tuesday, 2 o'clock, the same market. They usually buy the same things and they do it religiously. And what you're saying when you use that word is they do it habitually, even to the point perhaps of not even thinking about it. Now, that's an unfortunate thing to take something so sacred and turn it into such a commonplace habit. But that's what happened with the religious rulers. They were just did things religiously. And I wonder in a careful examination in our hearts, not only with prayer, but also with other things, if we just do things religiously. It's just a habit. 
we just go to church, we just pray, we just read, we just... But but it's not, there's no heart there. And God, through this time, and Jesus, as he's teaching us, is saying, come back to the heart. Don't do things religiously, but rather get alone with God and talk to him. Talk to him regularly. Have a personal prayer life. Spend a lot of time alone with God in prayer. Pray secretly. They're just things that are between you and the Lord. They're just things that, that you are carrying that nobody knows about, and that's the way it should be. It's just you and the Father, and you're constantly carrying those things to him, rushing into the throne room of grace boldly so that why you can find help in time of need. That you could run around to 20 different people with your problems, but the Lord says, don't do that. Come to me. All that you were weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Get alone. And some of you, it might be a prayer closet. It might be alone. I, I have an office, so I'm able to go into my office and close the door and get some alone time with the Lord. However it might be, it might be your car. It might be a closet. It would be great. It could be a prayer room you have set up in your house or your apartment. But get alone. It's not saying it's wrong to play publicly, but it is wrong to draw attention to yourself so that you might be rewarded for your great spiritual life. Notice verse 7. But when you pray, another thing to watch out for, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. And in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and we'll get to the rest of it in just a moment. But when you pray now, he gives another prohibition. Don't use vain repetitions. Now, the emphasis on vain repetition isn't repetition. Because I'm certain that in your prayer life and in mine, we are often praying about the same things or praying about the same people. Until they get saved. We're interceding and we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. It's not the repetition part. You know, one of the things I like to do is I like to to make lists because of my memory. My memory just isn't what it could be and what it should be. In the last few years, it's really gone. So I like to pray through lists. I pray through lists of people. I pray through lists of requests. I pray through lists of things going on in our church family, different people that have come through for counseling. Different, I, I'm praying through lists. And I pray the same things over and over again until I see a change. I mean, we've been saved for 20 plus years and there are people we are still praying that they get saved. That's my heart. So it's not the repetition part, it's the vanity part or the vain part. If you like to write in your Bible, circle the word vain and write next to it empty. That's what it means. Empty repetition. So I'm going to ask you, anyone here, have you, were you taught to memorize this particular prayer? Raise your hands if you were taught in the religious tradition you came from. And keep them up. Keep them up with me. If you were taught to memorize this prayer. Okay, so keep your hands up if you were also taught to say this prayer repetitively all the time. So look around the room. Quite a few have been given this. You can put them down. Quite a few, you guys listening in on the radio right now, watching on TV or on on the internet, you were taught... You were taught not only to memorize it, which was good, but also to repeat it. And you probably repeated it so much that you just simply repeated it 
and there really wasn't much to that repetition. That's vain repetition. It's not a bad thing that you memorize a scripture. It's good. And we're going to expand it a little bit and see what kind of model it's become for you. But Jesus says anything that we're doing vainly and empty just to repeat because we were told to or because our heart's not in it. He says, don't pray that way. Don't pray that way. That's not prayer. Don't pray just because somebody told you what to say. Pray from the heart. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Don't make it a big deal. But have a real conversation with God. There was a group of people, he says in verse 7, that they could compare it to. And this wasn't the religious leaders. These were the heathens praying to their false idols. The word heathen, could, we would use the word today, unbeliever. You know, someone that is not in relationship with God. That those guys, when they would cry out to their idols, they'd just say a bunch of nonsense and repeat a bunch of nonsense and there would be nothing, nothing of substance to what they were saying. True prayer requires direction and devotion. We're praying to the Father from the heart. Direction and devotion. And the good news when we pray in verse 8 is such a comfort because the Father already knows what you have need of before you ask. So if you, you know, kind of walk away from prayer and go, I forgot to say that, I forgot. No, no, God forgets nothing about you and actually knows things about you that you've already forgotten. He already knows what you need. He, he's already ready to answer. He, he's already ready to meet you where you are. Just come to him sincerely and regularly with great substance in your heart. And so now the remaining time that we spend together, we just look at this prayer. This prayer of direction or a model for us in praying. It's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, but in reality, it's the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus doesn't pray this. He says, in this manner, verse 9, therefore pray. And I have to say, between this section of the Bible and Psalm 23, just about everybody knows Psalm 23 and this section of the Bible, this particular prayer, just seems to be that common. And I like to refer to it as the disciples' prayer. And notice right away that there's no secret power to this prayer. That There is no secret power to repeating it over and over again, vainly repetitively, habitually. Jesus doesn't say here, repeat this prayer exactly after me the rest of your spiritual life. He doesn't forbid repeating it either. He doesn't forbid using it as a model to remember how to address God. But he says, in this way, this is a great way to pray. This is a great model to pray. The balance in this prayer is powerful if it's prayed from the heart. And if you find yourself using it as a sincere prayer from the heart, God will bless it. And it will inspire other things to talk to him about. Now notice in verse 9, this is, we'll begin kind of breaking it down. Now in, in this Bible study, we could have easily broken this off in each section be one Bible study. And we're not going to do that, but it, you could. You could spend a whole Bible study just looking at the significance like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. How does the prayer begin? By addressing our Father. We're not addressing your Father. We're not addressing their Father. We're not addressing my Father. He says, when you begin in prayer, keep in mind that you're addressing our Father. And almost immediately in prayer, 
not only are we reminded of a God who loves us like a dad, but we're also reminded that we are not alone, that we're a part of the spiritual family of God. That's one of the most beautiful things to think of, that no matter where you came from, no matter what your background is, no matter what you're into, no matter what your nationality is, what country you were born in, what color your skin is, what language you speak, or any of the other things that might separate us, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are all answering and connected and related to our Father. We share that in common. That means you can go anywhere in the world Or anyone in the world can come here. And by faith in Jesus Christ, through true repentance, a born-again man, woman, child, is our brother or sister in him. And I have worshipped around the world in a lot of different languages, a lot of different cultures, and a lot of different contexts. And it's just something beautiful to know that even though I don't understand what they're saying, and even though I don't understand, I've never heard that song before, or even though I've never sat on, but by worshiping with them, this is my family, anywhere on the planet Earth, by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a taste of really what heaven's going to be like. Our Father. I realize, and I spoke to some, that because of your upbringing, the idea of a loving, caring father has just been shattered. It's just been shattered in your life because of, of the man that was supposed to be your father or the, or the man that was your father and the decisions that he made and all. But listen, God, God is not like that. He's not like any man on the earth. The, the, greatest, the greatest picture of our father, well, Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. It's the greatest picture of what love is from a dad. And when Jesus is praying, he wants us to know God as Father, our Father, together, the spiritual family. Notice, hallowed be your name. Again, circle the word hallow, you can write next to it, honor. Honor the name of God. Honor him. Respect him. Which really speaks to us to to be careful how we address God. Because I hear people, and I'm sure you do too, when they're referring to God, they'll, they'll refer to him as the big guy upstairs. Big guy upstairs. Or the man upstairs. Listen, God is neither the big guy or the man upstairs. He is God, and you are not. Honor him. <laughs> Honor him. And it's funny, you know, it's always the big guy upstairs. It's not the big guy in the elevator, not the big guy in the escalator. He's always upstairs somehow. And it's a demeaning of who God really is. He's not the big guy upstairs. For believers, he's our father. And his name is to be honored. And like I said, we could develop this into a Bible study in and of itself of how God reveals himself and his name to us. But, but I, think of, I think of when he revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, honor him, God who's a healer. Or I think of when he, Moses is so afraid and so nervous. He's, he's going to go back and he's going to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. And he's going to bring them into the promised land. But he's nervous and he's afraid. And he says, well, who am I supposed to say that sent me? What's your name? And God says, I am who I am, the becoming one. He's to be honored and respected. Just like the Bible says today that children, we're to honor our mothers and fathers. Same with God when you pray. 
Honor the Lord as you talk to him. A good and needed reminder there as we close out today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app and podcast. Our pick of the month is Five Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. As Christians, we sometimes encounter objections about the Bible, and maybe you're left wondering how to answer them, or where do you look? Well, this wonderful book offers you 365 quick answers to key questions. I think you'll find it super helpful the next time you come across a question where you're not sure how to answer, and we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. And we want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses. That's our prayer and our heart's desire. And if you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we'd sure appreciate it. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we go and grow through a study in John with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 